So you already saying that, you know, at 20 years old, dating in these Nairobi streets has not been easy. That's it in a nutshell. It's not easy for nobody, but I think for a foreigner, it's much more complicated. But also there's benefits. Like, it, it, it's, a, it's a given thing. What's the benefit? Well, <laughs> <laughs> Right. Without the accent, I'm still quite charming, handsome, tall. So listen. <laughs> if there was a package, you'd have my face on it. All right. My accent just puts uh, icing on a cake. All right. So it just allows me to get in contact with some people that it'll be harder for regular guys. You get in certain rooms with regular guys. Like, there's certain there's certain like benefits because they just assume you have money. I use the assumption to my advantage. Okay, you can pull more ladies with the accent and the foreign, the foreign. Hey, I pull ladies. <laughs>
Okay. Yeah. Very different. 
And when you say we believe we are the chosen people, are you referring to Africans that were stolen from Africa are the chosen people? Africans in general. Just Africans in if general. You look at, um, if you look at, you ever heard of the, um, what is it called, the Apocrypha? It's basically, it's, it's hidden books or books that wasn't added to the Bible. And if you look at like the Book of Yesha, Book of Yesha describes how from, um, from Noah, his three sons, how they populated the earth. They talk about the different cities, whether it's in like um, in Asia, in well, in Africa, different places like that. So even like the, some of the major cities that you have now are just um, like newer versions of the older cities. And you see how those sons and their sons and their sons, like it really gives you a very detailed description of how these places got populated. And Africa being one of them, in Asia, in Europe, this and the other. So most, like I'd say most, at least in East Africa that I know of, most people, especially like the old tribes, Kikuyu, Luas, they can like they can trace their lineage back directly to King Solomon, King David, in twelve different tribes. Wow. Yeah, it's quite fascinating stuff the more you get into it. I haven't read any of the missing books. Mm -hmm. Do you guys have access to those? Uh yeah. I can wow. find them on the net. I've been reading the book of Yesha, the book of Adam and Eve, and the book of Enoch is the book of Enoch is too deep even for me. Like I read it and I'm just like, whoa. Things you like the things you don't know is crazy. Okay, so you don't necessarily believe in Jesus Christ as the Savior. But you do read the Bible, that is the sacred text, the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. Now, when you say chosen people, the first thing in my head is like chosen for what? To establish the kingdom of God, to be that beacon of light, that beacon of righteousness in a way. Where we have this thing where we, uh, we wear fringes, of course, the blue, like t-shirts, garments, whatever. But it's basically a way to recognize, okay, you're like me. So no matter where I am in the world, and like even even around here, when I walk around and somebody from Israel, they see me, they're like, oh, Atam Israel, like you from Israel? And I'm like, yeah, they're like, yo, I visit your community. It's like a way of symbolizing, this is where you're from, I can recognize you. And it's a certain energy that goes along with that. It's like, um, it's like if you know someone's here for righteousness, like this person isn't gonna do you wrong, isn't gonna do harm upon you. And so, I guess that chosen, it's just, it's a responsibility mostly to like everybody I meet. I can't help it but to go, hey, Mr. DL, where are you from? I'm from Israel, Hebrew Israelite. It, it, you can't have one without the other. You can't have I'm Mr. DL without the Hebrew Israelites, without the Israel, without, there's like a long thing that goes along to it. And nine times out of 10, it fascinates people in a way that's like, let me get your number. We need to talk, we need to sit down again. We need, I need to understand more about you because I've never met somebody like you. I've, I've definitely experienced that firsthand because when I talk to people about in Kenya about the restaurant um, Soul Veg and when I tell them, oh, it's a Hebrew Israelite community that owns and operates it, people are really intrigued. Mm -hmm. They want to know more. So let's talk about the lifestyle. I know you guys are vegan. Mm -hmm. For what reason? Health. Okay. It's, it says it in the Bible to be vegan in Genesis 1, but she died of Kaftet 29. Genesis 1 and 29. Yeah. Okay. She died of Kaftet. Don't quote me on that. It's, I think it's 1 and 29, though. But um, it's most like 
if you look at it from a health benefit, non-religious, it's a health benefit. If any doctor tell you, like you get old, and this is the example I give people, you get old, you get some kind of disease, the doctors tell you one thing, cut out meat, eat more fruits and vegetables, and have a more plant-based diet. They don't say go vegan, because you can't say that to people. Mm. But they say have a more plant-based diet. No matter what disease it is, it's always a plant-based diet. That's true. And my personal logic on it is, what if you start that plant-based diet from the get-go? How right. healthy would you be? What kind of diseases would you have avoided? And it, it just makes sense to me. And you look at the benefits and like the upsides and the downsides to it, for me personally, it just common, it's common sense. That's that's where you should be, or that's the right thing that you should be consuming. Okay. Now the other thing I know about your community, well, I think I know, is it's like it's a community for real. Mm. Like y'all don't work for nobody else. Mm -hmm. You work for each other. It's a very communal environment where you have businesses mm -hmm. that belong to the community and are operated by the community and the mm -hmm. profits are shared by the community. Is that correct? Partly. There's people like, um, like you get out of school or whatnot and there's different jobs you can do inside of the community. Like mostly, I don't think I've ever worked a job outside of my community. Since I've always been, well, people like offer me jobs, I'm a hard worker. So people's like, okay, that's Leo, this, that, and the other. But you have people that go out and work outside of the community. But my thing is, it's all like always like a full circle kind of situation where you find people that leave out, go, do their thing, explore, work, and they always end up coming back to the community. It's a, it's a full circle kind of situation because there's nothing like there's like there's no place like home. Mm -hmm. It's the same kind of situation where like you a Hebrew, you bound to be a Hebrew no matter where you go. You can't escape it. But uh, yes, the profits are shared in the community. So we have our own supermarket, our own uh, factory, our own like um, clothing line, fashion um, de not developers, fashion people. Let's call them fashion people, designers. Mm -hmm. So our own boutique, restaurants, whatnot. So like all of those things, that ecosystem is all within the community. So you don't have to. You can, but you don't have to go outside the confines of our community to get what you need. It's like very rare. Is it a situation where it's like, okay, I have this store and I own it mm -hmm. and I don't share with the community? Does that exist? Uh, like private private ownership? So like you can have businesses okay. and they be your business. Mm -hmm. It's just nine times out of ten your demographic for like your target demographic for your marketing is the community. Because your people, I mean Indian sells to Indians, Chinese sells to Chinese. Although they sell to other people, right? The people they're trying to provide it for is their people first. Okay. And everybody else, then you can come and do whatever. Got you. But like most stuff is like, okay, how can I service Hebrews? Like ninety, but over ninety percent of the businesses were made by Hebrews for Hebrews. Whether it's yoga, whether it's clothing, whether it's like a product, your biggest clientele is Hebrews. Okay, so talk to me about some of the businesses that you guys have in Kenya right now. Okay. Mm. So in Kenya, we have um, we have an organic agriculture company. We also have a uh, 100% vegan restaurant. We also own a, um, we started a school. So we have a school, restaurant, agriculture. We have a, a music studio, if anybody interested in uh, that. What else? There's more, but that those are the they're major like the ones. Like, yeah, those, those are like the major ones. I mean, my sister has a hot sauce business, and my sis, my other sister's an author, and we have marketing, we have graphic design, 
Everything you need to start a business, you can find it within the confines of this, jurisdic this jurisdiction. Okay, I like that. I love that. Okay, so the other thing that I understand about Hebrew Israelites, I don't think it's every sect, right? Because mm -hmm. there's different sects. But within your community, plural marriages are okay. Yeah. I have a lot of thoughts on that. Okay. But uh, I think plural marriage is good in terms of like the right way of doing it. Because there's a right way and there's like the wrong way completely of doing it. The right way is me, my wife, Isha, right? We have, we get together, wife, whatever, start children. The point is population. So let's say we have children. You can only have children every nine months. Okay, let's say you have a lot of children. You need someone to help you take care of those children. So the husband goes, finds someone. Now first he asks his wife, are you all right with this? Because <laughs> I mean, okay. she got to do it also. It's not just a you situation. Right. That's very selfish. But you ask her, she says, all right, I'm open to it. You go, you find someone, and you bring that, like, you go and you say, hey, what do you want this girl, this woman? And she goes, yeah, okay. So now you, they call it Mikodeshi. Not Mikodeshi, but you basically, you're pursuing her. That's what they call it, you're pursuing her. And so, for me, the right way to do it is you have to make sure that you have enough money financially. You have to have enough resources to take care of this family completely. All they need is before you go out and get another one. You can't be food stamps and be like, I'm gonna bring food stamps to everybody. No, you have to have you have to have enough money to take care of this person, this person, right. and this person. If that's what you wanna do, uh -huh. there's a responsibility, that goes along, a responsibility that goes along with that, which is you have to be able to take care of that person financial, all these, all these services, their kids, because it's not just, because if you have three wives, they have like, that's why they all have five kids. That's a lot of kids. You have to be able to take care of them, three wives, those three families, it's like three separate families. And then 15 kids. Exactly. <laughs> oh my God. And you have to take care of the 15 kids, so they're all like, what, 18? It's a lot of money. But if you can do that, then that's the way to do it. So what's the basis? Is it again, the Old Testament? I think it is. But it's mostly like, um, like if you look at uh, Islam, they can have multiple wives. And like a lot of different, even in Kenya, a lot of different tribes here, like the idea of plural marriage isn't something new, something fabricated. It's something that it makes sense also because the bigger the family, it's like it's like a unit. Think of it like an army. If I had, I have ten, I have nine siblings. Let's say my brother's a lawyer, my sister's a doctor, my other sister's a chef, my other sister's an author, my other sister this, my brother this, my brother this. That's a lot of people doing a lot of stuff. You can accomplish so many things with just those ten children. And that's that, that's the point of it, to have a unit of people that's like, we can get things done. Something happens, we have this one people that can take care of it. And if every family was like that, then you should have like a strong, multiple units of people that's just capable and competent. So when your when it's your time to, you know, have a family, mm -hmm. is that something you think you you'd like? Somebody asked me that uh recently. I don't I pregnant, I personally don't think so because I heard you say pregnant. What did you say? Nah, I said I personally <laughs> personally. Okay. I personally don't think so because this this modern woman feminist thing is not my cup of tea. This oh, I don't need a man, these these women that they got out here. Listen, if I can go back to like that nineteen sixties, cut me a little wife, bring her back, I have full marriage all over. These women was nice. Feminine, lovely, these days, I don't need a man. 
You got nothing for me. Where are you getting this if, from? Listen. Are you getting this from media or is media. this real life? Listen, I've been out here, not in the streets, but I've been out here. I listen and I have enough female friends to know you find one good one, you're good. You won. One good one, one is gonna stick with you, ups and downs, not ride or die, but like ups and downs, I'm probably like gonna take care of you. You good, why go out and find another one, you know? You go in the mine. Okay, okay, so we went all the way around the moon very much just for you to come back and say, hey, it's not for me, I just need just one good one. That's the reason why though, what? all that extra stuff, I don't like it. We go back and forth. Hey, beautiful people. I just wanted to take a moment away from this interview to express to you that I have a passion for fashion. <laughs> I know it sounds corny, but I love getting dressed. I love dressing people and I love sharing with people. So if you happen to be in Nairobi anytime soon, I implore you to book one of my eclectic fashion tours in Nairobi. You can do this on Airbnb experiences exclusively. And I promise you, regardless of your gender, regardless of your style, there is something here for you. Finding something unique and different in Kenya can be a bit difficult, but I have sussed out where to go and where not to go. I look forward to seeing you. So I really only know of your family and I came to the restaurant launch. So it seems like there's a lot of people here from your community. How many people would you say are here in Kenya? Uh, like, so when you came, like when you came to the restaurant, we had just got like a month earlier. Mm -hmm. So by then it was Benji Guy, Maaba, about 10 of them. It's about 15 of us. 15 in, people? In total, yeah, I think. Oh, I don't know why I Give thought it was take. so many people. Nah, nah, nah. And what about globally? Do you know that number? I, I it's, it's a lot of people. Because yeah. you, like, you have jurisdictions in the UK, in the US, and in the US is the most is the most jurisdictions. But in Israel, you also just have a community of people just spread out everywhere. Like, there's not a city you can go to in Israel, you don't run into a Hebrews, at least one. Like. It's, it's, a, it's a really weird thing about the coincidence of you being in that city and running into a Hebrew. Like, whenever you need help, there's a Hebrew in that city somewhere. How many people do you think it is in Israel? Couple thousand. Couple thousand. Yeah. It's, the, it's really, really interesting to me because <laughs> when you were talking about, like, okay, you, you need somebody to take care of the kids and the husband finds another woman, mm -hmm. I was recruiting. I was, look, this woman tried to recruit me to be a second wife when I was a student in Ghana. I was like 21 and, you know, I was like moderating this talk at the University of Ghana. I was a foreign exchange student there. And this woman comes up to me afterwards and she was like, you know what, you're so beautiful, um, but you don't need that lipstick. And I was like, who the hell, who is this? Facts. So it is. Facts. <laughs> And she was like, you know, I would love for you to come to my house. So apparently there's a jurisdiction in Ghana as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They have their own little cul-de-sac, like beautiful homes. It was nice. She invited me there for lunch. I didn't know what the real purpose of the meeting was. Mm. Okay. I thought I was just going there for lunch. This, you know, this was in the early 90s. Mm. And so I had no idea what a vegan was. 
So she fed me a vegan lunch and I was like, oh my God, what's <laughs> not used. And then after all of that, she had her husband come out and look me over. I think she was pretty high. Community. Huh? You should be part of my community. My community. I am positive. Right. I think I think he's like a major guy. Like I think I've seen him on on like literature and you know talks whatever. So it was a two story home and I was sitting downstairs on the couch and she's like, oh, I would like to introduce you to my husband. And he came out. And he had on like these. It's like kind of what what is it called? Like a thobe, like a white thobe. And he looked at me, and whatever it was about me, he did not like. <laughs> but she was trying to like talk me into it. She was just like, you know, you know, we do have plural marriages, and we help each other out. So she was selling me this whole sister wife thing, and sister. I was like, yeah, first of yeah. all, you done served me a meal with no meat. <laughs> And now you talking about, I can help you out. She was like, you can still continue your education. You could be a lawyer and, and the other wives can have the kids. You don't even really have to have. I was like, okay, I left out of there and never came back. It was a concept that was just so foreign to me. It's just foreign to Kind of people. I just wanted to take a moment away from the interview to just talk to you a little bit about what I do, what I offer. As you know, black people thriving all over the world is one of my passions. And I wanted to let you know that I do offer consultation services. It's very organic. Just tap me in my DMs on Instagram and say, hey, look, I am interested in blacksiting to Africa and I need your expertise. I've been coming to Africa since I was 18 years old, okay? I've been living in East Africa since January of 2018. I have some insight to share. Before you sell all your things, before you book your flight, before you ship everything you own to Africa, give me a shout. I can tell you about the do's and the don'ts. And if I don't have the answers, I will put you in touch with someone who does. So let's back up a little bit. I wanna to talk to you about what brought you and your family to Kenya and how long you've been here. Um, what got us here was a, uh, a situation our family was in in Israel. I'm not gonna get into that detail, it's a bit political. But um, it was in a situation in Israel and my dad was like, yeah, start packing. I was like, fam, fam, is this gonna happen? He was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, cool. And me personally, I had a, um, I had like a five-year plan of staying in Israel. I had a job in sales. Like I had a couple jobs already lined up for when I got out of high school. He was like, bet. So I had people who was like, get out of high school, come work for me, make this amount of money. So in my mind, my five years was set. I was making enough, I was making more than enough money to sustain myself in, my, I had enough money to sustain enough people. I was like, cool, this is good. And then that situation happened. I was like, geez, what the heck am I doing in Kenya? And like, I was, I've never like lived with my dad. So it, it kind of was like getting to know someone you're supposed to love, which is a, it's an experience, that's for sure. So essentially what we haven't mentioned about Hebrew Israelites is that 
the belief is that we are originally from Israel. Is that correct? Yeah. That's the belief that we're originally from Israel. So ultimately, you know, it seems like the goal for many is to move back to Israel. So I, if you hadn't told me that you were Israeli, then I wouldn't have known because you have an American accent. Your parents were born and raised in the U.S., mm -hmm. right? Okay, so would it be safe to say that like English was your first language because you spoke English in the home, right? Mm -hmm. And then you went out into the world and you spoke Hebrew. Hebrew. Yeah. So your community went there, you established communities, and the foreign minister at that time mm -hmm. gave you guys a special pass to be there, yeah, so special permission, and then the, there was a new foreign minister that came in that revoked that. Yeah, so Israel works, like Israel doesn't have a constitution like the states. Okay. So in the states, you have a constitution, how you become a citizen, this, that, and the other. In Israel, there's no constitution. So basically, guys can come together and go, today is this, tomorrow is that. There's no constitution? Yeah, so the laws can change on a flip of Oh, line. wow. So that's why Israel has stayed like Israel, like it is today. Oh my gosh. So, um, like one foreign minister, was it foreign minister? One, some guy in the uh, government, he met with our, uh, our leader or whatever. He was like, okay. You guys are here doing this. I have no problem with you. Okay. So he set up a plan that allowed, like, so I think it was a five-year plan that allowed you to go from being not a citizen to a citizen, do the army, this and the other. And then another guy came. He was like, no. He was like, could you have different um, groups? I have, like, um, Republican and Democrat. So you have, like, um, so you have different groups like that in Israel where you have, like, Orthodox Jews, Hiloni, they're more like, you're freer Jews, I guess. They're more modern, woke. I don't know what you want to call it. They mm -hmm. just don't follow the laws to like. So, based upon who is in office, then the laws will change. And based upon how much they like black people, <laughs> then the laws will change also. And especially since, well, we kind of we kind of a threat, I guess, to them. But not in, not in that way. It's like we are who we are, and we're not shy about it. You know, we're not hiding who we are. Where we say we're Hebrews, and you got, oh, I'm Jewish, like I'm a Hebrew. It's two different things with two different meanings also. Mm. And because Jewish just means like, well, I'm Christian. You can be Christian today, Islamic tomorrow, and basically, same thing oh, with Judaism. But Hebrew means I'm a direct descendant of the tribe of Judah, of Israel. And that that's way deeper than I'm some European guy from Europe who got on the boat and was like, Jewish. I see. Yeah. So it plays a much, it's much deeper than just guys who don't like us because we're black and guys who do like us. So it, based upon who's in office, based upon, because you also have people pulling strings in the background, like you have in the Knesset, you have like this council where these guys, they really don't like black people. These like your orthodox, all they do, they get paid to, to read the Bible. Like these, these get big shots. And so basically in our community, then you have a different system at different times. So like my brother, he was going through a different system than the system I went through. So his his political, his status, his citizenship situation is much different from mine. And so it's like, it's very fractured between people who have, who don't have. Citizenship. Yeah. And the ability to do certain things. Like without, the first thing they ask you and practically everything after you're 18 is citizenship. Whether it's sales, real estate, car license, house, mortgage, you can't, 
Without Israeli citizenship in Israel, you can literally practically do nothing. You get paid way less. In Israel, without citizenship, you practically, you're, you're screwed, really. Like, whether it's driver's license, uh, home rental, whether it's child support, what, no matter what it is, without citizenship, that's the first thing they ask you. It's like at the top of every internet page, citizenship number. You ain't got that, there's no step forward. It's just, you're screwed. Wow. Even medical care, yeah. So, if, like, let's say um, I had an accident, and let's say you had an accident, same accident, you have citizenship in Israel, so you have, like, um, what do you call it? Uh, but basically, you have coverage. You probably pay like maybe 500 shekels, maybe like 1,000 shekels. I'd be paying like 5,000, 10,000. Yeah, it's. Oh. Well, citizenship. You're, okay. You're very screwed. In that's very much by design. No, no it's, listen, they, they designed this system in Israel to a T. These guys thought about everything. Yeah. Very much by design. Okay. So it became apparent that the Hebrew Israelite that had established a community there were no longer welcome with this new government installation. There are many new government installations. Okay. They switch it up like every four years and you better hope that the guy who comes in likes you. Because if not, then he just goes, yeah, whatever you thought y'all had in the process of whatever, dead. So you and the two sisters that I know, mm -hmm were born and raised in Israel. Yeah, born and raised. And the older sister that I met as well? Yeah, she's born and raised in Israel. No, she's, was she born in, yeah, she's born and raised in Israel. Let's just say that. She's born and raised in Israel. But yeah, her political uh, citizenship situation is different. It's a little different. Because she's from a different, uh, like a different system that they had implemented. By the time I was born, then that system had already been cut off. I see. Okay, so even though um, you and your two sisters were born and raised in Israel. You technically are not citizens. Yeah, they don't. They don't grant you citizenship based on you living there. You being very born interesting. There and total, how many are is in your family between you and your dad? I mean, your your dad and your mom. Between my dad and my mom, yeah, uh, it's three of us. Oh, okay. And then, like, how many siblings do you have? In total, mm -hmm. I have nine siblings in total. Okay. So you also have a big family as well. Yeah. Yeah. But like, it's like a big family, but like, when I was little, my brothers didn't left to the States. So it's kind of like, you have brothers, but you're like, you don't know these people like that, you know? Like, even though they're your brothers, and there's a, there's a connection there, there's, it's just like a disconnect where it's like. Because there's so much culture. Yeah. Also, it's like, it's like it'd be funny if you had a twin sister who lived in Alaska. <laughs> and you met, it's like, yeah, you're my sister, but <sighs> our life is just so different okay so talk to me about what life was like in israel uh i think from childhood it was lit like childhood it was you had the playground like it was very communal <laughs> like playground. it was very communal <laughs> like you didn't want much but to just go outside all your friends they hung out the same places it was like you didn't want for much when you was a child because you had a place where all the kids hung out you had like a freeze cup store you know freeze cup store right the cup with the frozen juice in it. Very right, simple. Freeze cups. Okay, we call it, I mean, it's the cup with the frozen Kool-Aid when I was coming uh, up. <laughs> every country has a different name for these things. It's crazy. But we had freeze cups. Like, we talked about this on a podcast yesterday. It was, 
it was so lit because that's all you really wanted. And then like the older you got, the more you understood. Like the more I understood, like the darker things got. And I was like, jeez, man, something has to change. But all of it all. Like, what I, was your education like? Education. What was your interacting with other, you know, people in Israel. What was that like? Education in the beginning was really lit because we have our, uh, so we had two schools. So we had like the New Kingdom School of Holiness. That was a lit school. That's the one I went to in the beginning. I think that really um, shaped the person I am today also. Cause it was more about like critical thinking, like all those math, science or whatever. So you did not go to the local public schools. You went to your community school. So our community had two schools in the beginning. We had one okay. and then like that was like, it was like an unofficial school. It was just something we, everybody came together and said we're gonna teach each kid. So you had, cause in the States, I mean, in our community, you have people from the states who have degrees in science, degrees in math, degrees in this and that. So let's at least utilize these degrees that we have. Got it. And like after that, then we had an official school built directly adjacent to our community. And so I only went to that school in like fourth grade, and that was like a it's like a shock to my system. First thing, way more children, like way more people than I ever met in my life. I'm like, yo, it's a lot of people, but also. I had to learn Hebrew and I didn't speak a lick of Hebrew at like in fourth grade because all I knew was English. Everybody spoke English, my mom speaks English, and that was really it. So when you go, like you know the basic words like uh mom, dad, can I get this? Like we had like certain words that were just like just embedded in our um upbringing. But um when I went to uh we called it Aqua, it's called the Brotherhood School in Israel, super lit. But um when I got there in like fourth grade, it was it was a shock, man. Cause you had to learn everything over. You have to learn math over. Like the math they do in Israel is much different from the math they do here, the math they do in the States. It's very different. So you just like learning everything over. The only upside was my mom used to have us reading in English all day, like on the go to summer and whatnot. So like my English was in fourth I mean in fourth grade, I was reading at like a sixth, seventh grade level. And from there it was just so that was like my edge at having people. But outside of that, it was just tough. Okay, I just want to clarify something. At a certain point, you were going, you were being educated within your community, and then at what age were you being educated outside of your community? Me and my sisters was a bit of a situation. So we could only start, I started in fourth, my sister started in third. My youngest sister, she started in first though. Okay, That's just how I old she it. was. And then just interacting with um, people in your city who were not part of your community. Was it smooth sailing? Mm, most. Most people are, and like we come from a small town. Like the community is in a small town. So, what's the name of the town? Demona. Demona, okay. Israel. Check it out, it's lit. <laughs> but uh, most of the people in Demona like know of our community. And most people, like, it's a small town thing. So, most people who live there grew up there, kind of situation. So, like, even from like people who are older, younger, they all know of our community because, I mean, it's a group of black people. Can't really mess them. And since we're the only black people, can't really mess us. So you see, like you see a black person in Demona, ninety nine percent of the times that's a Hebrew, and so yeah, it was it was kind of smooth sailing. I mean, people, people are people. As long as you do them good, people do good. And it's like you, you people. So it wasn't like no stigma. I mean, you have kids and stuff. It's like oh, cushy. It's like when black and white people call you nigga. It's like cushy. It's like that. Oh wow. Yeah, it means it comes from uh, Ethiopian. I think it's Ethiopian. The Kush. So the Kushites, that it's a play on words to call you cushy. It means like that white people call you nigga. Yeah.
But at a point they stopped doing that because, well, they really they actually just scared of you. <laughs> what is the draw to Israel? Because like your family moved to Israel, but then you have other people that, you know, like you said, are in DC, they're in Ghana, you know. What's the draw to Israel? Draw to Israel is it's a land that was promised. It's like a promised land. But also when it's like I've I've been in the Kenya jurisdiction for two years now. There's like it's cause my family or whatever. But you can tell people who go from like DC, Atlanta, do we get to Israel? It's like I grew up there, so it's not really a little sparkle in my eyes. These guys is like, yo, this is the best thing I've ever like this is unimaginable. And they've heard about it, stories, heard people come back. But it's like it's this community kind of situation where you know you just feel like home in a way. It's like a home that you've never been to. And it's that everyone looks like me. And I know if I ever need something, there's an unlimited amount of people I can go to that'll just take care of me. Like I don't you don't you don't need to go home to drink water. You don't need to go home to eat food. You just it's like, yo, I'm hungry. And someone's like, all right, come in, we have a dinner. Come here. What you need, you need something? Here. So we have our own print shop. We have our, like, all these things, all these different small services. We have our own clinic. I was born in that clinic. We call it the Beit Chaim, the house of life. You don't need to go to the, you don't need to go to the hospital to get, uh, to uh, deliver your child. Because, like, we have our own, so all of these components, they just make it so, you don't have to go nowhere. But, and everyone like everyone has your best interest in mind, and that's a that's a feeling of safety that you just don't have nowhere else. Like even in Kenya, it's not Israel. As much as I love Israel, as much as I love Kenya, it's not Israel. And I mean, I don't want it to be, but like I'm saying, it's there's a certain magic that you have in Israel that you just don't have anywhere else. I like that. I like how that sounds, and. It, I know that life is not perfect, mm -hmm. but it does sound like that's how life should be. Yeah, I mean. So you've been in Kenya for two years now. Uh -huh. What has life been like <laughs> for you here? What was that integration process like? Uh, I, I told somebody the other day, my two years in Kenya has felt like a lifetime of experiences because it's sheesh, man. Uh, it was like, it's like. In the beginning, it was it was tough because people call you like Mzungu. And I'm just like, bro, listen, don't call me that. Because I know what it means. <laughs> Stop telling people what Mzungu means. Mzungu means foreigner, invader. Basically talking about the British people who came here, who have accents. So they think anyone with an accent, they call them, oh, you Mzungu, you're a foreigner, you're an invader. I'm just like, bro, I can't be an invader. I look like you. You can't, you can't play the same kind of game with me because I have a different accent. And so like that part, I was like, all right, that's crazy. But uh, I think in terms of like integration, it was really easy. I, I adapt very, like my family, we adapt very well to like uh, whatever our surrounding is. You learn Swahili? A little bit. But, a little bit. Yeah. What was it like making friends here? I know you do have like a friend network. You got, you got. A business network. You friends. got a friend network I got too. Friends, friends, each man. Now I got, um, making friends here is tough. Only be like friends here and dating here is two tough things, especially as a especially as a foreigner. Cause there's like I was telling my brother this the other day. I was like, bro, no matter how much this person likes you, tell you they like you, whatever. There's an inkling in the back of your mind that goes, if you didn't have what you have, 
would they still be here? Or if you couldn't provide what you can provide, would they still be here? And like, whether your accent, because your accent to a lot of people here, mm -hmm. it means this person has access to things I don't have access to, or this person can do things for me. And like, no matter how much someone tells you they love you or they like you or not, or they trust you, none of that. There's always this feeling of, imagine everything you have left right now, would they still be here? Or if you didn't have your accent, would they still be as interested in you? So it's like, it's all based upon something. It's not you. And that is scary a little bit, even with friendships. Cause I mean, a lot of people, we talk, we hang around, months go by and it's like, oh yeah, to be ill, I need 10K. And it's like, really? I don't even know you that well. Like even my boys back in Israel, my friends would have called me like, Teddy, I need a hundred dollars. I'd be, cause like, there's no explanation. I'd go, why? And they go, oh, I need this. So it's like, everything was just fake. Everything was so, it was just planned. It was all just fake. And that's kind of tough. So it kind of just discourages you, discourages you from just even like, nothing's organic. Everything feels a little bit, you have to look at everything twice. And that's not fun. Like when you have to take everything someone says and you just like with a grain of salt. Do you have any um, Kenyan friends? Oh yeah, yeah, I have a few, very, a very small handful. Okay, a handful is nice. You don't need a whole gang. But most of these people I met through other people I trust. Like they're their friends and they become my friends. Like yeah, that's most of my uh, network just come from people who I trust, who people they trust, situations like that. Okay, so as someone who's 19 years old, you just got here, yeah, well, wait a minute, you're 19 now? I'm turning 20 in March. Okay. <laughs> I tell you I'm 19. I said Gen Z. That's crazy. It was like women in there, I was like, what's his Instagram? But now if I go to the States, I'm like illegal. I can't even buy a beer. Look, they already know my age. So if I said I'm old enough to be your mama, people can make the, those inferences. They yeah. can they can do math. Everybody got their kinks, you know? Anyway. So now that I'm 19, you know how Okay, you. so that means that you, okay, you'll be 20. So let's just say you came here when you were 18. Yeah. Right, so you you out in these Kenyan streets. Don't say it like that. <laughs> but I want, I want your perspective because there are people who want to move here with their families. Uh -huh. there, and they have teenage kids. They have kids who are adults. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Uh -huh. Are young adults. Uh -huh. And it's just like, okay, the young like why would you leave your whole social network and come to a new place at that age? Especially when your social network is so important. So given that you came here 18, now you're about to be 20 <laughs> in a couple of months. You almost have like an evil laugh. I'm sorry. Okay, talk, talk to us about like, you know, navigating, you talked about the social network, but navigating, dating, your dating pool, what is that like uh, as a heterosexual male? Straight as a ruler, but, um, it's kind of, it's, it's a bit of a situation. Like I've tried, to me, I'm a bit of an experimental kind of guy. Okay. I like to just balance. try stuff out. So in Israel, I've, what you I've, try? What? No, I'm, listen. So in Israel, I've tried like dating white girls and I was like, I know for a fact this ain't for me. She, I can't do this. So I got to Kenya and I was like, black women, get at me. Ukawapi, like. <laughs> <laughs> listen. Ukawapi, which means where are you located? Where are you? Where are you? <laughs> Send the Addy. <laughs> no, but um, 
I've tried dating like girls that don't have much. Let's let's say humble beginnings. Let's say people are humble in their beginnings. I've dated women like that, and I found that to be very exhausting. Why? Because with the accent, then it's like, oh, can you send me this? Like it's very very needy, very like uh, like you're sponsoring everything. It, it feels very like um. It's like having a kid. It's like having a kid who just needs you to do everything. And it's like, I don't like that. I like people like, even if you don't have much, you can take care of yourself. You find a way to take care of yourself because you're an adult. I mean, what the heck? And since I'm not dating no one under 21, geez, man, like you're out of school, you you working, figure some stuff out. But what I found the sweet spot is kind of, I'd say high end, but I don't want to call them high end girls. But yeah, they got their stuff right. Your your lawyer, your this, your that, your flight attendant. I like listen. I like them when they have it. Like they have their own thing going on. You okay. you just in addition to the pot, but they have their own thing cooking, and you just like, I like that because because she go oh I got lunch today. Like it make you feel good because you know she don't need your money. Like you know she don't need your money. She got her own money. She got more. I've been in chicks with way more money than me. I'm just like, bro, how the heck do I get here? And she don't care because she got her own thing going on. Like that, that makes me happy in a way. Because I don't feel like I'm being used. And that's a scary thing when you find you're being used. And you don't know. Because they never tell you just up front, I'm using you. It's always like, oh, my this, my that. Can you, can you help? I don't like that. Okay, okay, okay. So you are already saying that, you know, at 20 years old, dating in these Nairobi streets has not been easy. That's in, in a nutshell. It's not easy for nobody, but I think for a foreigner, it's much more complicated, but also there's benefits. Like, it, it, it's, a, it's a give and take. What's the benefit? Well... <laughs> <laughs> What's the benefit? Go ahead. You're telling all of us. Just tell no, no, no. Here's the thing, right? Without the accent... I'm still quite charming, handsome, tall. So listen, <laughs> if there was a packet, you'd have my face on it. All right. My accent just puts uh, icing on a cake. All right. So it just allows me to get in contact with some people that it'll be harder for regular guys. You get in certain rooms with regular guys. There's certain, there's certain like benefits because they just assume you have money. I use the assumption to my advantage. Okay. You can pull more ladies with the accent and the foreign the foreign. Hey, I pull ladies. Do <laughs> you have a passport? Do you have a passport? I'm asking because the I got whole the Israeli situation. Like swimming, you know. No, no, no. I mean if you don't have Israeli citizenship and my you don't have are American. Do you do you have a US passport? Yes. Hey. Okay, no, I mean <laughs> I wouldn't think that they would have applied for a passport for their kids. We have to do something. We have, we have, to, we have to maneuver. I know that's right. We have to get, Okay, get so you done. do have a US passport. Yeah. But yeah, like, like I said, your accent kind of, it helps you in a way, it kind of hinders you also. It's like there's, with certain people, your accent is like, it works completely against you. Mm -hmm. Like if you go to a, a party and stuff, most times I'm just quiet, dancing in my thing. The second you open your mouth, just like that, and you can almost see, I was telling somebody this the other day, like if someone thinks you're attractive, they come talk to you, whatever. The second you open your mouth with an accent, it's like a little sparkle in the eye. Where it's like, I can get something for free. He about to buy all my dreams, and he about to buy my uh, he about to buy. Like, no, it, it's so real. Okay, I, 
I'm, I have to take what you say at face value, but what I will also say is that a lot of what you've described is what people are experiencing all over the world. I didn't say they aren't. I'm just yeah. saying this is how it is in Nairobi. This, this is how it is but, in But here's the thing, though. Nairobi's a, Nairobi's a different city. I have to say, New York is crazy, probably. Tel Aviv is crazy. Jerusalem is crazy. But Nairobi, man. The thing about Nairobi is they call it one big bedroom for a reason. It's like the girl you're talking to isn't your girl, man. She's talking to you on Sunday, him on Tuesday, him on Wednesday. And it's not even like, it's not even for gain. It's just because married guys, married guys here are something else, I have to say. These married men in Kenya, I've heard too many crazy stories. I'm like, yo, these guys are reckless. But it is what it is. <laughs> like, it's, people, people sum it up under. You, like you just go with it. It's like it is what it is. Your girlfriend cheating on you with some bum from wrong guy. Say less. It's what it is. Like you can't get your. They tell me you can't get your feelings involved. Like the second you get all uh, touchy feelings, like somebody just told me that today. You ain't got no feelings. I'm like, bro, this is my movie. Feelings will get you hurt. Feelings will get you shot. <laughs> feelings will have you down back. All right. So you're not giving no hope to nobody who want to move. <laughs> Listen, okay, but he's telling he's telling us the real from you, his perspective. From my perspective, listen, listen, right? As you can see, I'm a quite of a handsome looking guy. So I don't have a problem getting women from like no like there's no range. There's no oh, you just get these kind of women. Oh, it's just these girls you talk to. No, listen. No matter who it is, no matter what's going on, you have to protect your feelings, alright? Like, you have to move. I think it's more, like, serious in Nairobi because the threat of being finessed is just way higher. Okay. Uh, I think you just have to move in a way where you're just doing what's best for yourself. Where it's like, you're not just out here splurging, living life like that. And if you got it like that, you got it like that. But be smart about whatever you're doing. Because there's people whose profession is what they do for a daily, that day-to-day is to con people that, like, that sound like me and you. So. Okay. I, I understand. <laughs> I even forgot is. what we was talking about, okay? Okay. Dating so, in Nairobi. Dating, dating in Nairobi. Hey, it's not for the week. Wow. It's, not, <laughs> it's not for the, I'm telling you, it's not for the week and the, and the naive. It's not. You will be for okay. next. You will be for next. You heard it. You I, heard I it straight. You Listen. heard it straight from Yastilio. Mr. Briggs. Mr. Briggs. Yes. For those who are nasty. No, I'm joking. <laughs> um, <laughs> I wish we could stay here and continue the conversation. This has been wonderful. I'm so glad you showed up and you agreed to be on the show. Is there anything else? See, because the show is designed to encourage people of African descent to return to the motherland. Is there anything else you would like to add before we close? Although it is ups and downs, Nairobi is nothing. Well, Kenya. Is a beautiful country. Like, don't let the harsh realities of well, people, well, some people, because it's not all people. There's really good people here. I've met some amazing people, but hey, Nairobi's a beautiful place, beautiful city, and Kenya is a more beautiful country. There's there's things you can experience here that you just won't get anywhere else. And there's power in being black here. You can see it. You know, people. You have people that's proud to be Kenyan, proud to be black, and. When you look at all the businesses and you look at black owned businesses, it really does, and it really does encourage you to just kind of keep pushing. And yeah, man, welcome to Nairobi. <laughs> <laughs> welcome to Nairobi. 
And there you have it. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Blacks into Africa. May you thrive, may you move with integrity, and may you be inspired to Blacks into Africa. Until next time. Nuts. I'm just.